Think about how scary it could be if the power went out. If the power went out in your house, the odds are that your heat would also go away, which would mean that pipes could burst. You could potentially lose food that you have secured in your freezer and fridge. And you could be really uncomfortable if you're somebody who relies on a medical device to sustain your life or perhaps enable you to sleep. This could be something that would be deeply problematic for you. While this can be a very scary scenario for all Americans, the reality is that when we face a situation like a power outage, most of us do not panic. Why don't we panic? Because we've been through that exact scenario before, and so we know how to be prepared. My family found this out just this last weekend. It was just after dark on a cold winter night here in northwestern Pennsylvania when our power went out. We didn't panic. In fact, even my boys, who are fairly young still, uh, had a, an awareness of what was expected of them. Unfortunately, we've had to go through this drill a few times over the last year or so, and so they instantly went into power outage mode, which for them meant going and finding flashlights, which they find to be enjoyable. To secure bedding, we made sure that we were all in one room so that uh, heat would not escape. We had to bring a kerosene heater in to keep us all warm, and it also meant that for a short period of time we had way too many candles that were lit. But my boys found this to be somewhat enjoyable. Although obviously we are aware that it could have posed uh, life-threatening conditions for some, and so we were deeply concerned and praying for our neighbors. But we were not panicked in, at that moment. There are various situations in our lives as we follow Jesus Christ where situations might come up that would cause us a lot of anxiety. It might even cause some of us to panic because we don't always know how to respond, at least the first time that we face a scenario that is challenging. But when you have prepared yourself properly, when you know what to expect, and if you've been through a situation before, even if a situation could be really difficult, you don't find yourself overwhelmed. Today we're going to talk about one such scenario that all believers need to be prepared for. That would be being prepared for the reality that you will face objections to your faith. How will you respond when people raise questions about what you believe? How did you respond the first time someone raised objections to the faith you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Did the Lord miraculously give you a word of wisdom to share? Did you respond in fear? Did you walk away saying, I don't know what I believe? Did you stand there in shock like a deer caught in the headlights? There's a whole spectrum of possible responses when we face any unique or challenging experience for the first time. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're likely aware of the fact that we will face objections to our faith. There are going to be people who are seemingly indifferent to our faith. There are going to be quite a few others who have a lot of questions and general, genuine curiosity. And yet we're going to find some people who are actually hostile to the faith that we have and for some reason even find it offensive that we personally have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In moments like that, in any of those kind of cases, to be honest, we need to be able to give an account for the faith that we have, to be able to give an answer. We want people to accurately understand what the Bible teaches, what we believe about God, how we strive to live as Christians. 
There are so many competing voices in the world today, and there are so many false assumptions about what Christians believe in the first place, or what we practice. And so sometimes when we face objections, our first task is to make sure that we are speaking the same language as it relates to our faith. And when we talk about our faith in Jesus, then we mean the Jesus of the Bible, not some fictionalized character that people have constructed and they try to attach all these extra beliefs to, or all of these practices that people have seen in Christianity, especially depending on the tradition perhaps they grew up among or they have witnessed more frequently, and they sort of project those sort of practices and belief systems upon us, even though we might not fully possess those, or we might not be in agreement with some faith practices that some adherence to various denominations might maintain. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, today I want to share with you just three major points about how you can prepare to face objections to your faith. And then I want to end today's episode with just a few very practical tips and even by referencing a few resources that I think would be very helpful to a general audience. And so to touch base first on those major points, I want to highlight the fact that you need to know what you believe. This sort of goes back to those introductory remarks I just shared. There are people who think that Christians believe a wide spectrum of things. In fact, early opponents of Christianity believe that Christians might be engaged in cannibalism because we use language like the bread being the body of Christ and the cup being the cup of the new covenant in his blood. You can imagine how in a culture when a seemingly new doctrine is is taught, and they use language like that, how you would sort of have a few questions and a few concerns. If you had a child who said, I want to go over the ho- to the house of somebody who does these practices, and you would say, what? What do they do? That is so bizarre. And it would be if it wasn't your theological heritage. And so there'd be some questions that might be raised. Now, those sort of confusions uh, might be something that we could kind of joke about or say, I can't believe people actually believe that Christians were cannibals. But, you know, there are many beliefs that people have in our culture today about what Christians believe that simply are not based on reality. And so I, I rather than chase kind of where those could all go, I think it's important to have a concrete understanding of what we believe in the first place. And think about the benefit of that, whether the objection is coming from someone who is hostile to the faith or from another brother or sister in Christ who simply wants to know, what should I believe as a practicing believer? And so when I talk about knowing what you believe, I I think that there are some essential doctrines that we need to be able to clearly articulate. Among those would be the inerrancy of Scripture. What do you believe about Scripture? Do you believe that it is accurate? Do you believe that it is God-inspired? Do you believe it is without error? Do you believe that God has uniquely preserved it? Do you believe it's the product of man? Well, as a follower of Jesus, of course, we recognize that it is God-breathed, that uh, it is fully inspired by him. That's what that means, that uh, God has preserved his word. Um, And so doctrines like that, so the inerrancy of scripture. We believe, obviously, in the existence of God. 
We need to be able to define what the Trinity is. What do we mean when we say the Trinity? Do we mean three different gods? Do we mean uh, one God who takes on different forms? No, no, we don't. We, when we define the Trinity, we're talking about, uh, well, I'll use the definition that James White does. Within the one divine being who is God, there exists three co-equal, co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From there, we need to be able to describe the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit and the deity of God the Father. We need to be able to explain what we believe about demons and Satan. We have to be able to articulate the historicity of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. These were not mythological developments over time. These are historical realities for which there are eyewitnesses. We have to be able to explain what we believe about creation, about human depravity, the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The man's ultimate problem is nothing that is just a surface issue or even uh, along the lines of human suffering or some other kind of social evil. The greatest problem that, hum that faces humanity is the fact that we are sinners apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, that all deserve death, separation from God throughout all eternity in a very real place called hell. We need to be able to describe what we believe about salvation. How is it that someone ends up in heaven? Do they just end up there because of a detour? Are they just transported there for some reason? Is it on the basis of doing good works? And if so, how good of works? Good compared to who or to what? What do we mean? Well, we don't mean any of that, of course. We're not saved because of works. We're saved uh, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we mean, though, when we talk about salvation? Saved from what? Saved for what? To do what? What does it mean when we talk about spending eternity in heaven? Do we envision us floating in the clouds playing a harp? I really hope not. I have not spent a whole lot of time practicing. Uh, instead, we talk about heaven. I, I like Dr. David Jeremiah's definition. It says heaven is where Jesus is, and Revelation describes what heaven looks like in great detail. There's a number of doctrines there and they might even relate to contemporary issues that we need to be prepared for because we're going to face objections on these lines and along these lines. And those would include what does the Bible teach about human sexuality and about gender identity, about marriage, about life from conception until natural death. What do, what do we mean when we talk about these subjects? What do we believe about the future? As a follower of Jesus, we should all have a working understanding of these core doctrines, we should be able to explain what we believe. Not our opinions, not I feel this way about a subject, but this is what the Word of God teaches, and we should be able to point people in a direction in the text that would enable them to understand what the Bible teaches as well. As I share these things, by the way, and answering objections, I do want to note, we're not talking about winning arguments and arguing online on social media just to try to... to tear somebody down or knock them down a notch or anything like that. We're talking about sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, clarifying confusing points, making sure that people are aware that Christianity is an intellectually viable option for them. Uh, it is not some 
uh, myth. It is not some cult. Uh, we believe uh, because we have a very we have a rational faith. We have reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, um, and so we can explain these core doctrines. We should be able to. And so, if you want to be prepared to answer objections, then just have a working, concrete understanding of what the Bible teaches on essential doctrines. That will be the first and foremost point. Because once you have that understanding, then you will be able to recognize falsehood. You will be able to understand how false ideas originated. As people start to explain things, say, well, that was a corruption of the of what the Bible teaches on the Trinity, for instance. And somebody must have taken it, even if you don't know who or the development of the theological thought that went astray. You could say, I, I know that there's error somewhere here, but let's look back at what the Bible says. And so you will be prepared. You don't have to memorize what every cult, what every uh, religion in the world teaches. If you know the truth, you're able to speak clearly about it. The second, understand church history. Now, this can be more a more daunting task. Am I asking you to buy great volumes on church history and make sure that you understand every key figure with every date throughout church history? Well, of course not. But we have a working understanding of some of the major conflicts that have happened within the history of the church then we're able to be prepared for future attacks on what we we profess to be true from the word of god and so we understand that the enemy's tactics are not new we see a recycling of ideas and of attacks against Christianity. This has happened in every generation. There is nothing new under the sun, as Solomon wrote. And that's the reality. So as followers of Christ, if we look back through church history and we see how Christians who came before us responded to attacks, we will better be prepared to respond in our historical setting. Some examples, or an example of that, would be, you know, we think of the Arian heresy in the 4th century, um, where there's a, an argument made that Jesus was a created being, that there was a time when he was not. This is a belief that the Jehovah's Witnesses continue to teach today. Well, how did the Nicene Creed address this sort of teaching? How did early Christians respond to this? When you understand who figures such as Athanasius are, then you're able to read his writings and you're prepared for a contemporary objection to Orthodox Christianity, uh, to Evangelical Christianity, to Biblical Christianity. You're able to do that because you understand how people have previously responded to that. We live in a time period where you can watch great episodes on church history online, and you can do so for free. You can use a search engine and find those. You can find uh, resources that are published by scholars or by pastors who you follow online or watch on television. You can have access to many topics um, related to church history for free right on the smartphone or, or tablet that you have in your hand at the moment. The third is to recognize common objections. There are going to be objections that you are always going to face. Like, isn't science in opposition with Christianity? How do we know that there even is a God? Why do, why do Christians believe that there's life after death? Do you really believe that Je Jesus rose from the dead? Do we have any extra biblical texts written around the period of the New Testament? 
that we that reference the resurrection of Jesus? Is hasn't the Bible been altered through the centuries? Those are the sort of objections that you're going to hear. And there's probably many others that you would find. Of course, the number one objection you are going to hear is that Christians are hypocrites. We hear that all the time, don't we? Christians are hypocrites. Uh, as though everybody, by the way, lives perfectly in accordance with whatever their stated worldview would be. And so we're going to hear objections like that. We can prepare our minds for that in our hearts. You can think through those. Because of the duration that I have to record this video today, unfortunately, I can't unpack those today, although you can look at other content that we have uh, on our First Baptist Church of Lionsville uh, website, on our uh, YouTube page, on our Facebook page. You can find teaching resources that perhaps would point you towards answers. But if you could begin thinking through those sort of objections and ask yourself, how would I respond if someone were to say, well, all Christians are hypocrites? How would I respond to that? How would I respond to an objection like, hasn't the Bible been altered throughout the years? By the way, we have great objections to that. Isn't science in, a, in opposition to Christianity? Those are the sort of objections you can start thinking through. Write out your thoughts. I encourage you to do that. Sometimes we write things out and we look at it and, and we have to sit down and read it and process it. And it forces us to articulate our, our thoughts in a deeper way or a clearer way than sometimes we do when we just think about it in, in our minds. And so, so those are some of the major points. But now I want to talk about some just some tips, and I've provided a few there, a few tips, and uh, just point you in the direction of a few resources that I think can be helpful. Well, the first tip that I would give you is try to avoid an analogies, if at all possible, when you face objections or questions about your faith. Analogies can be useful sometimes in helping people understand something that is complex to wrap our minds around, but in cases like theological matters, let's say the topic of the Trinity, for instance, a lot of times analogies fall so short of what Christians actually teach about the Trinity, what the Bible teaches about the Trinity, that, that they really undermine what we're trying to say clearly. For example, as, as I just said about the Trinity, think about a common analogy that's used. I've heard people say, well, you know, the Trinity is like water. Um, it can be a gas, it can be a liquid, it can be a solid if it freezes. Right now I look outside and I see a lot of, I see icicles. So it can be a solid. Well, is, is that what we believe about the Trinity? Well, of course not. That would actually be a heresy. That would teach modalism, which would be that the that, that there's a triune God who only exists in one form or another, uh, but there's no co-equal, co-eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an analogy like that. So we need to be cautious about the analogies we use, and, and I would encourage you to refrain from using them as much as possible. The second is, you know, you have a great resource available to you if you are a member or a regular attender of a local church, and that would be your church's doctrine statement. I, I trust that you attend a church that has a printed uh, copy of your doctrine statement, or even more likely, you have a version of the church doctrine statement right on the church website or on a social media platform. And so if you have a question about, for instance, what do we teach about the Bible? What do we believe about the Bible? Well, a great starting point would be your church's doctrine statement. What what does it say? Do I Am I in agreement with that? 
I trust and, and I and I hope that your church, after it describes what it, what you believe about the Bible, I trust that there's going to be a, a number of verses under that. Read those verses, unpack them, ask, what does this tell me about the Word of God? What should I do with this information? Write out your own thoughts on that. If you feel like you could expand on that definition a little bit, uh, a little bit, then go ahead and do so. Feel free to do so. It's important to write those things out to make sure we are wrestling with what we believe and we can speak clearly. Because if you do that and you're thinking through doctrine like that, then whenever you face an objection along those lines, you have already done your homework. You have prepared for it. The third tip that I would give you is that it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I've had to say that many times as a pastor. It's not fun. I mean, I wish that I was a walking encyclopedia and I could just call to my memory any sort of answer to an objection that I might face, any question about the faith. I've spent so much time reading the Word of God and unpacking it, reading commentaries, theologians, all sorts of things. But I got to tell you, there are times where my mind just goes blank. Or perhaps I haven't prepared myself to answer that particular objection. So I have to say, I don't know. But I don't just leave it at that. I say, I don't know, but I'm going to find the answer. Or I can give you a partial answer now, but I want to continue this conversation next week. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's sit down and talk about this. I'm never going to pass up a chance to have coffee, by the way. So we want to have an, an opportunity to have ongoing dialogue so we can clearly describe what we believe. And that is very important. What you don't want to do is you don't want to walk into a conversation like this where you face objections, you give answers that are unclear, you leave some confusing remarks kind of just floating there, you bounce around and say, I don't believe this. Then they ask you about it and you say, oh yeah, I guess I do. I believe this, but not quite the way you're framing it. You don't want to get into situations like that. You want to be able to clearly articulate what you believe to understand what you believe, not because you created it, um, but because the Word of God teaches it. And so you want to be able to share it in clear terms. If you have to say, I don't know, say, I don't know, but create space to unpack it in another way down the road. Now, there are some resources available to you. I just talked about your church website or your printed out doctrine statement, but there's some others that are available to you. The first among those would be your pastor. I don't know of a single pastor who would complain because they got a doctrinal question. I love getting Bible questions. I always thought when I was going through Bible college, I'm going to get all these great deep questions about theology and about the Bible. And I get some, but usually when I get questions, they're about social topics or they might be something about politics. I probably get more questions about politics and specific legislation than I do about, for instance, the doctrine of the Trinity or how do I feel about Mullenism versus Calvinism or something along those lines? Well, pastors love to get questions like that. We love to hear concerns that you are hearing or objections that have been raised to you for which you don't have a great answer, or perhaps you have a partial answer, but you're looking for more. We would love to come alongside you. And I, I can't speak for all pastors, I suppose, but I feel like I should be able to on this topic. I love when I get questions like this, and I love providing answers from the Word of God. Uh, additional resources would be books that have been uh, published just even in the last few years. Uh, so there's a book called Love Thy Body. 
Um, there's another one called Total Truth. They were, they were both written by Nancy uh, Piercy, and they um, deal with subjects of contemporary concerns such as human sexuality, homosexuality, gender identity, abortion, uh, topics like that. What, what do we believe as Christians? Uh, these would be resources that would be extra biblical, but would be helpful to help you understand what we believe. What is marriage is another example of that. It was written by Ryan T. Anderson. Uh, there are books that are apologetical in nature. They are a defense of the faith. A Reasonable Faith or On Guard by William Lane Craig. These are good resources. On Guard is written for a more general audience or for an audience that has never approached uh, the subject of apologetics or defending the faith. And so that would be a resource as kind of an introductory book for you. More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell would be another resource that would be commonly used. Additional resources that might benefit you would be Scientism and Secularism by J.P. Moreland, where he addresses uh, scientism, which isn't just the belief that, you know, science, of course, is a very beneficial discipline, but that science can answer all things, which, of course, it cannot. Um, another one would be Paul Copens, Is God a Moral Monster? This answers some of the more commonly raised objections to the moral character of God, especially as it relates to the Old Testament. Is, is God good? Can we be sure that he is? A resource like that would be helpful to you. Can we be sure about the historicity of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection? Uh, the book Jesus Under Fire, um, Michael Wilkins and J.P. Moreland were the general edit editors of it. That's a good resource for you. Um, church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. If you would like to be able to access church history at a general or introductory level, that would be a good resource for you if you enjoy reading. And then a final resource that I'm going to cite for you today. It has a number of articles in it that are fascinating uh, that explain answers that have been given to a lot of objections that Christians have faced throughout the years. In fact, this would kind of be a, a nice handbook that would be on the side. You could read a chapter here or there, and you would have such a great idea. It has articles like, how we got the Bible. Is the Old Testament historically reliable? The case for Jesus. Jesus, a man of history. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, hoax or history. Those sort of articles. And this would be in a book called Evidence for Christianity. And it was written by Josh McDowell. It has some in-depth articles to it. It has some, it cites some sources that are scholarly. Uh, it is published as a scholarly work, and yet I found it to be a very helpful introductory book to the topic of apologetics when I was young. And I think that it's something that most believers would be able to read and to be able to understand. And so I think resources like that are are readily available in our society today. You can get right on your smartphone or tablet and order any one of those resources. There are thousands of other ones. I'm not paid to recommend any specific work or anything along those lines. I just grabbed a few books off of my shelf that I have found beneficial to me. But these have been beneficial to me, and I believe they could be beneficial to you as well. The key is to remember you are going to face objections. You don't have to be afraid. 
If you panic the first time, if you find yourself overwhelmed the first time you find an objection, don't throw in the towel. Don't think, I could never be prepared. Don't think, I need a smarter Christian, quote-unquote, to be able to answer that, or I need a, quote-unquote, professional to answer that. No, if you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and if you are a Christian, you do. If you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, you are able to give it a defense for the belief you have. Yes, we should be hardworking, and we should prepare ourselves, especially for those objections we know we're going to hear. You are going to hear an objection to Christian sexual ethics. You are going to hear an objection to Christian morality framed as, are Christians all hypocrites? You're going to hear questions about whether or not Christianity and science can coexist. These are questions and objections that are going to be raised. There is no reason that Christians should be afraid of those objections, and there's no reason we shouldn't be prepared either. I want to encourage you along those lines. I want to challenge you. And next week, I want us to come back and discuss another scenario for which all believers should be prepared. May the Lord bless you. Mm-hmm.